Hello everybody, welcome to Optional Opinion. I'm your host, Eddie V. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great show planned for you all. Uh so happy to be actually to be talking about this topic in this uh company, um uh, reflecting kind of on their history and where they're at now. And of course if everybody has seen the topic, uh forwarding the way of way forward of course i'm talking about one of my favorite american companies i should say uh way forward uh they i when i actually looked at this topic well not this topic when i actually looked up this company and just saw all the things that they did in the gaming industry i was i'm surprised i'm like wow i can't believe like some of the games i i know of and i probably have played um but I'm I'm literally shocked at just just the amount of of games that they made. It's 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 like very interesting. And um uh, reason why I love Way For It, I'm actually gonna get into the end of that. Um talking about why I love them, is that there was a particular game that I played that came on the Wii and, and people who know me probably know which game I'm talking about. But I'm going to actually get into that a little bit later on. I kinda wanna give uh on how Way For It actually begun. So uh they started in 1990 uh uh in california and uh they they are known as a uh, way for technologies incorporated um uh, but we just see them in uh when we see their games they just say way for it um way for technologies incorporated is an american independent video game developer and published and publisher based in Val- uh, valencia california founded in 1990 by technology entrepreneur voldy way way for started by developing games for consoles such as the super nes and Genesis, as well as TV games and PC educational software. Um, in 1996, they relaunched their video games on placing the company as a contractor for publishers and working on a variety of licensed assets. The company has created a variety of original game properties such as the Shantae series, including the first title in the series which appeared on the Game Boy Color and was published by Capcom. Uh, currently, uh, Wayfair Technologies uh, they work on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation, and for Xbox uh, with a lot of their games. You'll see mostly of them on the Nintendo platforms like Nintendo DS, Nintendo 3DS, and Wii U, uh, and also Switch now. Um, they did a, yeah, they just did a lot for the N- Nintendo hardware. Um, Way4 Technologies, founded in 1990 by Vody Way, uh, the name came, uh, uh, well, uh, um, it may refer to the novel Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams, where a character named Gordon Way has founded a company by the same name. Um, early on, the company focused on producing software for the Super NES, Genesis, Sega CD, Game Gear, and Game Boy Color. Um, this is some of the history I'm going over. They also branched out into educational computer games for the personal computer and Leapster. During this time, many of the staff were doing other jobs in order to support their ambition to become game developers. In 1994, Wayfair Technologies entered into a partnership with American Education Publishing in order to focus on developing further educational computer games. The partnership was successful, with the company winning awards for innovation at the 1995 Consumer Electronics Show. During this time, Wayfair focused on licensed assets such as the Muppets for the educational games at or Godzilla or the Scorpion King for the movie 
for their more traditional games. Uh, WayForward restarted their video game development business in April 1997, working as the developer for hire by providing services to software publishers, which they still do today. Uh, John Beck, CEO, stated that by providing services on small projects, the company has managed to remain a stable level of work. In mid-2002, WayForward released their first internally developed game based on their own intellectual property called Shantae. While it achieved critical acclaim, it was one of the last games to be released for the Game Boy Color, and as a result, only enjoyed limited success. When Nintendo announced the dual-screen handheld console that became the Nintendo DS in early 2004, WayForward began examining the various options the new console offered. Work started on a sequel to Shantae using the two screens. Despite presenting the concepts to a number of publishers, they were ultimately unsuccessful at securing a deal. Because of the large number of Shantae-related assets they were produced, including 3D models, WayForward frankly uses them when trying out new to new technology or development platforms. Later in 2004, the company was contracted by THQ to produce a new check game called Ping Pals for the Nintendo DS. Despite the tight time schedules involved in developing the game, WayForward used the opportunity to obtain development kits for the platform. The game was received unfavorably by the majority of critics and gained only a single positive review. In 2006, the company produced and released Justice League Heroes, The Flash, just as the Game Boy Advance was reaching the end of its commercial life cycle, which met with largely positive reviews. Since then, WayForward has gone on to develop further titles for the Nintendo DS, Looney Tunes, Duck Amuck, Based on the 1951 Warner Brothers cartoon, Duck Amok was highly anticipated at the E3 trade show, but also received mixed reviews upon release. On February 19, 2008, John Beck and Mac Bozen were speakers at the Independent Games Summit, part of the 2008 Game Developers Conference, discussing a branch of issues facing independent games companies. Lit was announced on March 5, 2008 and was released on February 9, 2009 for the WeWork online shop platform. A new game in the Shantae series is also, was also being considered for the platform. According to the spring 2009 entry of the Shantae Fan Club online newsletter, WayForward introduced a new character named Alta, who is a pink-haired girl that wields a scepter. She represents a brand-new original franchise. This was revealed on March 9, 2009 to be a DSiWare exclusive game called Mighty Flit Champs. WayForward will create Mighty Milky Way, another puzzle platform with a new character named Luna. Its sequel, Mighty Switch Force, was released exclusively on the 3DS eShop on December 22, 2011, with a sequel two years later called Mighty Switch Force 2 on the Nintendo 3DS eShop. Recently, WayForward Technologies developed a game for the Nintendo DS and 3DS based on the popular Cartoon Network show, Adventure Time. Well, this is kind of in the past. Um, the show's creator, Pendleton Ward, confirmed the news of the game's development on his personal Twitter account on the 23rd of March 2012. In Adventure Time, Hey Ice King, Why You Still Are Garbage was released on November 20th, 2012. A sequel explored the dungeon because I don't know, as well as regular show video game Mordecai and Rigby in 8-Bit Land were released in 2013. 
On February 24, 2013, Wayfor game director and designer Austin Ivan Smith confirmed that a sequel to Mighty Switch Force was in development on the 50th episode of Sub Homes on uh, Sub Homes on Destructoid. Um, that's Jonathan's Homes podcast, which you guys should check out and also um, check out his work at Nintendo Force. Does a very great job. Um, uh, that was released on June 13, 2013. A new Shantae title was revealed via Nintendo Power, uh, Shantae and the Pirates Curse, which was released on October 23, 2014 on the Nintendo 3DS and Wii U eShop. Another game in the series, Shantae Half Genie Hero, was crowdfunded via Kickstarter and released in December 2016. On April Fool's Day 2013, Wayfor made a fake announcement for a game called Cat Girl Without Sally. Fans responded positively to the game's concept, leading WayForward to later develop it into a full title, which was released via the June 2016 Humble Monthly Bundle. And if people who probably own a WayForward game for the Shantae series, um, you might have picked up uh, the Mummy D Master, which was their latest game um, that they came out. Or if you own the DuckTail remaster uh, by Capcom, WayForward also developed that. So uh, that's just a, a little history um, about the company. And that came kind of from Wikipedia. I uh, just want to let everybody know. Of course, they be like, well, we should know this. They produce over 71 games. And while a lot of them, uh, because they were a developer for hire, a lot of them are kind of the licensed games um on it and they did do some like as like i said they did do some of their own intellectual properties but um a lot of their uh, games were for the handheld system for nintendo like game boy events game boy color nintendo ds and uh when it came to bigger platforms you would see them more on wii or uh wii u uh, and then later on down the line they came to playstation and uh xbox so that's just a little bit history and man when i looked at this list of games i was kind of shocked and i didn't mention any of the leafster games because it's not listed but i was kind of shocked just to see that they work with one of my favorite japanese companies and i'll talk about that a little bit later and i was just like wait what Oh, oh, wow. I can't believe that happened. So um, when I come back, we're going to actually get into a little bit more um, why I feel like, <laughs> and this is going to sound kind of weird uh, that I say this, um, why they're kind of the American Konami for me. And with that, I will be right back.
So this is why I kind of call them the American Konami. Um, Wayford doesn't have an actual style, but when they're trying to capture uh, a look of a gang, uh, whether it's one of their license or anything, they try to, um, well, like back in the day, uh, you know, Konami will capture if it was a comic book or anything, they would try to capture that style uh, of gang. So if you look at like X-Men, the arcade game, you would see that they try to catch a comic book look to it. If you uh, take a, well, besides like Batman uh, Returns, like for the SNES, you know, they had a particular style to their look. Like it looked 16 bit, but they tried to make it dark almost kind of like the movie um and if you look at the ninja turtles they they try to catch not so much of an animated style but kind of almost uh kind of neon bright uh representation a little bit of the cartoon mixed in with the comic and you kind of can see the details for that but and that's what uh way did they captured the look of the gang so if you look at uh batman brave and the bow they tr- they actually caught a look of the cartoon and the way that is stylized with the colors with just the characters looking and stuff and it was kind of surprising that they did that you know, they and if they're trying to go for a 16-bit look or an 8-bit look, they know how to do sprites, just uh, justice. Um, if you look at Double Dragon Neon, it has this kind of neon flare look to it. Because Double Dragon really didn't have a style. Uh, it kind of changed from the arcade game to console. And then when you look at Double Dragon Neon, you'd be like, wow, <laughs> like it's a little bit bright and a little bit colorful. So, uh you know when this when this was kind of probably on game boy events and stuff they they went for that 16 8 big look um and stuff for it but you know those sometimes that license didn't have a style unless it came from the cartoon and they would try to capture close to it uh so that's why i kind of like way for it um you know they i said talked about their sprite bait and anime look um they kind of had some tight gameplay in some of their games um depending on the development that time that they had or in people who were work on it sometimes it was loose sometimes it it was perfect it kind of depends on how much time and budget they had to work with um and not all not all of their games were perfect some of them were kind of average but like there are games like uh uh batman brave and the bow uh you know were, like they had tight gameplay because it wasn't too much it was more of a beat them up so it wasn't that much slippery or you could mess up in things um so uh that kind of tight gameplay but you also have something like blood rain betrayal or silent hill book of memories of which i'll talk a little bit later or even like lit where you know controls for them kind of probably was a afterthought and they didn't have time to perfect them 
and like bug test them because they're not too much of a big company but when they get together to make games you know sometimes they're on a schedule and they have to use that time to do as much as they can um unfortunately with way for it they haven't made any arcade games and i and me and my uh boss best friend cory derrick um we talked about them making arcade games and i think they they would make great i think personally shantae would be a great arcade game get a two-player version of it or if they were able to take a licensed game and actually make it as a seven level arcade beat em up or anything i think way for it would do a great job or if they want to create something i think they will kind of like really win it over a lot of people and then if they want to port that game to the current systems they can uh with ease i just i just wish they would been able to uh, i wish they would make arcade games i i would play them i definitely would go in and put in uh ten dollars worth of quarters or (laughs) depending on what arcade i'm at i will put money in to play their arcade games i really would i i i i kind of i kind of would love to see i wish double dragon neon did come to the arcade before it came to uh consoles because i think that would help the game uh actually make more money than what it did make you know i would love i actually would love to see that um and as i mentioned uh earlier ducktales and batman the brave and the boat you know ducktales had a lot of issues uh because if you died in the game, you had to go back and kind of redo everything. And it was kind of difficult. It was a little bit difficult. Um, you know, they, they captured the style of the, uh, of the cartoon, uh, from the original series and really cleaned it up and it, and it looks good, but it was, it's hard in the fact that in this modern sense that there was a lot of mistakes that they made, uh, with some of the mechanics, um, or actually decisions of when you die you have to do a lot of things over and stuff so i think if that would have got patched and fixed i think it would have been a better game but you know i could see them trying to keep into the spirit of the nes version you know with it being kind of difficult but also being able to um being being able to uh make something that uh really gave people the feeling of how gaming how this game was back in the 80s you know with just an uprest look so um that's why uh they're more you know they're my american konami uh you know the konami games back in the 80s in the arcades were difficult but yet they were fun to play now the huckleberry i think it's huckleberry Finn or something like that or the tom sawyer game something like that i know that that one is kind of difficult and if you look at top gun that game was kind of difficult also but i'm just like if you play contra if you played um you know uh castlevania and stuff like that you know wait for it games kind of feel that way they they're not they're a little hard and little challenging but they always gave you that one more try and uh you know the cat girl uh game that's on pc you know to me it's kind of their first uh shoot 'em up game where it's in space and everything and i kind of would love to see what they could do with r-type like i would love to see them 
probably have her take on Gradius too. Like, I would love to them, see them do more shoot 'em ups and go to areas that they haven't tried. Like, I, I think they could be uh, Konami's treasure in a sense, even though treasure came out from Konami. I think when they did, you know, because they made Contra 4, um, I think if they could incorporate, you know, their their style or their ideal of game development and their own original IP and make a shoot 'em up or something like that, run a gun or beat them up, I would love to play that and bring it to the arcades. I would love to see that because those are the games that I kind of grew up with as a kid. And so to see that actually come upon us, uh, I, I would just love to have that happening. So uh, when I come back, we're going to actually talk about the Shantae series, one of their breakout hits. And, uh, you know, the series has gone on and they just released Shantae How Genie Hero for Switch. So uh, we're going to get into that and we'll talk about that game when I come back. So, um, the Shantae games, <laughs> uh, they're kind of, uh, uh, well, they're like a Metroidvania style of games, but, uh, Shantae is a platform video game developed by WayForward Technologies. Um, the first one was published by Capcom for the Game Boy Color in 2002. Um, it was the first title in the Shantae series, um, and the, these games would later follow, uh, the game. Uh, Shantae Risky's Revenge in 2010, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse in 2014, and Shantae Half Genie Hero in 2016. So, you know, those, uh, those four games make up the Shantae series. And they also, I believe, been in some other games, uh, from other indie developers as like a special guest. Um, 
The game follows the adventures of the eponymous half-genie Shantae, who must travel across Sequin Land, uh, the setting of the series, to foil the domination plans of the evil lady pirate Risky Boots. During her quest, she learns various dance and acquires items which make her progressively stronger, as well as unlocking new abilities and locations, leading her to ultimately face off against Risky and her hideout. For, this is the regular Shantae, and you fight other people um, throughout the series. Um, the game became obscure due to its release coming a year after that of the Game Boy Advance. However, it received favorable reviews and has garnered recognition since its release. Being included on multiple lists of best games on the platform and being called a cult classic by some reviewers. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, that that's kind of how uh, Shantae uh, came about and was seen. Uh, the game was considered for development by WayForward Technologies as far back as 1997. Our archive version of the company's official website showcases a very different approach to the game, which was at the time considered for development on PC and, or PlayStation, a full 3D with traditional animated characters moving before a 3D background. Shantae was presented as a troubled genie born without magic powers, who had to save the world from the gens, a powerful being once sealed who escaped at the beginning of the game and plans to drain all magic from the world. Back then, her magic was capable and envisioned, and envisioned by Erin Posen, the original creator of the character, to summon animals, but transformation was already planned that Shantae could turn into a harpy. Her dances could also launch attacks and she had different outfits with different characteristics. In the ideal of Matt Bozen, who created the game's universe based on Aaron's character, at the beginning, the game was planned for the SNES or PC. He and Aaron pitched the game with the help from veteran programmer Jimmy Hugh, who worked with WayForward at the time. After the completion of Extreme Sports, Voldy Way, the founder and owner of WayForward, greenlit a Game Boy Color version of the game. As Huey had already built a graphics engine for Extreme Sports, this engine was adapted to suit Shantae's needs. This allowed the game to showcase wear effects on GBC games, like parallax scrolling and transparency effects. In the first four months of development, the team created most of the animation, and Huey programmed an app capturing tool that allowed to take full color animation frames, turn them into three color chunks, and resemble the whole of on the uh, GBC screen. Um, publishing for this game. The game needed a 32 megabit battery backup cartridge to work properly and was expensive to produce. This factor deterred some publishers alongside the fact that launching a new intellectual property was considered risky. WayForward tried to find a publisher for years before Capcom eventually picked the game for release. Capcom, however, held back the release for months during which the Game Boy Advance was released. It is rumored that the game had only one run of 20 to 25,000 copies. WayForward saw that the console screen had a tendency to darken the colors, so they took back the game and made further developments on it, incorporating a feature to brighten the screen if played on a Game Boy Advance, alongside some bonus features. Um, the music for this game. In 2000, the song was developed using the music's uh, audio format, that's M-U-S-Y-X, but WayForward chose to switch during development. The soundtrack featured about 20 songs at the time and was cons- 
composed by Jake Kaufman. Kaufman ultimately used the Paragon 5 Game Boy Tracker to create the music. Paragon 5 CEO Paul Brago served as music producer, and Stephanie Hockenhole performed music replay. Um, the reception to this game, uh, sales figures for the game have not been made public, but according to Bolson, it sold poorly. He said that he had heard that the twenty to twenty-five thousand copies of the game were produced, which did sell out, but that but that a second print run did not get made. Matt Bolson had refused to blame Capcom, the publisher of the game, for responsibility in the game's failure. This was despite Capcom holding it for eight months after completion. With the game finally releasing when the Game Boy Advance was ready in its first year of existence. He said he went in very naive, believing that if the game was good, it would sell anyway. Bolson believed that from a creative standpoint, he never really settled on a target audience, with the character being iconoclastic. Too sexy to be a kid's brand and too girly for a male gamer brand. Also, before the game was even released, Bolson claims that he had come to understand anyway that the game would probably not sell as during way for a search for a publisher. Many market analysts were skeptical of the idea of having a female-led character, and Bolson ultimately acknowledged that the that they probably generally knew their markets. He still didn't give up as he felt that Shantae had to exist, even if it was just to reach out and see if there was an audience reaching back. And this game did get uh, a lot of good, kind of, well, decent reviews. Um, game Former gave it, unfortunately, a 3 out of 10. Uh, game Pro at the time gave it a 4.5 out of 5. GameSpot gave it 7.7 .7 out of 10. IGN gave it a 9 out of 10. Nintendo Life uh, gave it a 9 out of 10 on the Game Boy Events and an 8 out of 10 on the 3DS. And for Nintendo Power, they gave it a 4.4 .4 out of 5. So, it kind of got good reviews uh, for it. And I'm kind of shocked that, uh, you know, they didn't really get a chance to do as much as they could. But, that unfortunately, that's what happened. Um, now, her sequel, Risky Revenge, uh, uh, came out around October 27, uh, 2011. And it featured a new magic mode, um, which... Uh, this also came out on the I, uh, iOS. Um, it came out on the 3DS and the Wii U uh, also. Um, uh, the, you know, this is the, like the second game for it. Um, when it came out to the DS, it came out on the Nintendo DSi for the uh, the DSware uh, for it. So uh, this one, uh, the WiiWare version, also um, actually have it. Um, just one second, everybody. Uh, the plot for this game, during the annual Relics Hunter Expo, Shantae and her friends watch her uncle Mimic unveil her, his latest find, an ordinary-looking lamp encased in stone. As they wonder its purpose, Risky Boots and her pirates crash the expo and steal the lamp. Shantae battles her, uh, but is knocked out, allowing Whiskey to escape. Blaming the half-genie for the town being in disarray and failing to do her job properly, Mayor Scuttlebutt fires her as Scuttlebutt's guardian. And then you go on this grand adventure for it. And once again, it is a Metroidvania game. Uh, 
And with this one, this game was a little bit well received. With OneUp.com, uh, gave it an A minus. Eurogamer gave it a six out of ten. GameSpreader gave it a four and a half out of five stars. IGN once again gave it a nine out of ten. Nintendo World Report gave it a nine out of ten. And Spy for the uh, reviewed it for the iOS gave it a four out of five. Um, the recession it says that Shantae Risky Revenge has been well received by critics, with many reviewers saying that it is the best DS DSiWare available, achieving eighty five out of hundred on Metacritic and eighty six percent on game rankings. Critics praised the game for its beautiful visuals, excellent soundtrack, and the old school style that felt familiar to Castlevania and Metroid, but with fresh new ideas. What common complaint was aimed at the map system, which was viewed as poor? IGN called it a labor of love, a sequel that doesn't disappoint. IGN later gave Risky Revenge the Best Visuals Award and Best DS Game for 2010. The iOS version has been generally well received, though not as well as the DSi version, with a Metacritic score of 75 out of 100 based on 7 reviews. So, uh, that one was Risky Revenge. And Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, I actually have this game. Uh, I bought it on the uh, Wii U eShop, but then a physical version came out, and I brought it there. And, man, it came with a soundtrack, and I love it. Um, or it might have been, was it How Journey Hero? Yeah, it was, uh, no, it was Pirate. It was the Pirate's Curse. That one came out for Wii U, and I love it. <laughs> the soundtrack is really good. Yeah, I had to, I had to buy it because once again, like I said, uh, I am a big Way for a fan. Uh, so Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, uh, came out on the Nintendo 3DS and Wii U. Um, it's the third game in the Shantae series following Shantae's Risky Revenge. It was released in North America on the 3DS eShop on October 23rd, 2014, and on the Wii U eShop on December 25th, 2014, um, and in PAL regions on more platforms on February 5th, 2015. The game was later ported to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Microsoft Windows, Amazon Fire TV, and Nintendo Switch. The game follows the adventures of the ponyous half-genie Shantae as she once again has to save Secret Land from a new foe, the Pirate Master, with help from her nemesis, Risky Boots. The title features a new soundtrack by Jake Kaufman and additional artwork by Entire Creates. Met with critical acclaim, just like the first two entries in the series, the game was a nominee for Best 3DS Game and Best Platformer by IGN and made the top 10 of the Club 10 Nintendo 2014 survey of the fans' favorite games. It also was commercially successful. A fourth entry in the series, Shantae, How Jenny Hero, which we'll talk next, uh, was released on December 20th, 2016. Uh, the plot for this game, uh, Shantae, who destroyed the embodiment of her genie powers in Risky Revenge, has been adjusting to life as a human. One morning, Shantae wakes to the sound of cannon fire. As Shantae rushes out to investigate, her friends Sky and Bolo tell her that her hometown of Scuttle Town is being taken over by the Ammo Baron, who, after a brief scuffle, reveals that he bought the town for Mayor of Scuttlebutt and is legally now his new mayor. Elmo Baron places Shantae under lockdown pending further punishment. Defeated and despondent, Shantae returns home where she is confronted by her nemesis, the pirate Risky Boots. Risky accuses her of robbing her as her henchmen and items have suddenly gone missing. The two discover that Dark Magic has overtaken her Tinker Bats, turning them into evil Cackle Bats. 
Risky deduces that the pirate master, a powerful evil tyrant, and her former captain, who was sealed away long ago by secret lands, genies, is trying to use the dark magic to revive himself. Determined to stop his revival at all costs, Risky forms a reluctant alliance with Shantae to destroy the den of evil, giving him power, recovery Risky's lost power items, and retrieve the dark magic inhabiting the Cackle Bats. Um... The game was announced in November 2012 edition Nintendo Power, and on May 24, 2014, WayForward Technologies announced that more info about the game will be revealed at E3 2014. Um, limited run games printed 6,000 physical copies of the PlayStation 4 version, which was released on their website on October 28, 2016, and then, you know, it came to stores. Uh, the game was commercially successful, being featured in the bestseller for the Nintendo 3DS. Um... This game, uh, Destroy Toy gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Farmitsu gave it 32 out of 40. Game Performing gave it a 7 out of 10. IGN gave it 8.5 out of 10. Hardcore Gamer gave it 4.5 out of 5. And Pocket Gamer gave it 9 out of 10. Uh, so it, they still love this game, but the reviews kind of went down. Um, but you know, t- for I I completed a hundred percent and really enjoyed it, and I love the animation and music on this game. Jake Kaufman is a great great composer uh, for uh, for this game. So the last one that came out was Shantae Half Genie Hero. Um, and this one uh, came out for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, Wii U, Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch. Um, all of them came out on December 2016, um, and then later on it came out in June for uh, uh, Nintendo Switch. Um, the game was funded, like I said, Kickstarter, and it raised over $900,000 uh, to get this game developed. So good, uh, that was good on them. Uh, the plot for this game, late one night, the half-genie Shantae is awoken by the sound of a voice. Following outside, she discovers a secret cave where a messenger from the genie realm warns her of an impending evil that only she can defeat, but disappears before it can elaborate further. Shantae suddenly awakens, revealing the experience to have been a dream. She goes to visit her uncle Mimic, who is working on a new invention, the Dynamo, which would keep Scuttletown constantly powered and safe from attack. However, the pirate Risky Boots begins a siege on Scuttletown, with one of her Tinkerback's minions stealing Mimic's blueprints. Shantae gives chase and defeats Risky, retrieving the blueprints, but Major Scuttlebutt once again fires her from her position as the town's guardian genie due to Risky's escape and the damage incurred. Mimic reveals that several components are still needed to complete the dynamo, so Shantae begins searching across Sequin Land for the remaining components, hoping those she finds in need of assistance along the way. So yes, it has the Mario kind of thing that, you know, something happens to Scuttlebutt, Shantae tries to do her best, the mayor fires her, and then they go on this grand adventure. So, um... It, I mean, and this one did do good. Shantae uh, Hadjini Hero received an 81 out of 100 aggregated review scores on Metacritic. Um, and it, you know, had some uh, favorable reviews and stuff. Uh, US Gamer gave it 4 out of 5 stars. Um, IGN gave it 8 out of 10. Uh, Destructoid gave it 7.5 out of uh, 10. Um, 
and uh, uh nintendo life gave it nine out of ten so uh and it does have some dlc to it so uh those are just a general overlook of the shantae games if you want to uh learn more of them you can check out youtube there's some his- more history about them um and if you own one of these platforms and they have the game available i do recommend uh picking them up and giving them a good run they are fun um a little bit challenging at times but like i said they're uh they're just fun games um i don't know the future of the series um i'm expecting that e3 we might see a new game get announced or sometime later on down the line if not i think something will be announced next year for 2019 for the shante series uh but for right now uh go ahead and check them out um i did enjoy it i believe a physical version of the switch version did just release so if you are interested in checking them out go ahead do that um, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about some of the flops and whatnots. Yes, even though they are one of my favorite companies, um, they didn't really have a good history with some games. So with that, everybody, I will be right back. So some of the games that were kind of a big flop for Way Forward, um, you know, like I stated earlier, they had some good games and they had some tight control for some of them, but not all of their games were perfect. Um, so we're going to go over kind of like three games of theirs, uh, kind of known for not some are decent average reviews, but, you know, they didn't really knock it out the box like they they could have so um ping pals i mentioned that earlier and uh ping pals uh came out for the nintendo ds um it was developed by them and published by thq um it was a chat accessory program um and this game was released on december 8th 2004 in north america the program allows the user to customize their ping pal avatar and game interference uh interface uh, by selecting from over 1,000 different items such as hairstyles, makeup, clothing, backdrops, music loops, and sound effects. Um, the items can be unlocked by trading with other players or buying them in a shop. 
players must try to complete their collections as each cartridge uh, shop offers a different subset of, of the items. Players receive the regular allowance of coins using the DS date-keeping functionality and can get more by playing mini-games, such as Guess the Number and Hot Potato, typing certain secret words in chat, each word works once per file, and even for choosing to display the credits screen more than once. Up to 16 players can play wirelessly using one game cartridge. Each must be within about 1,000 feet, 30 meters, or one of the others to exchange text and picture messages. Um, it was released, like I said, uh, for North America on December 8th. Um, Australia got it February 24th, 2005. And Europe got it March 11th of 2005. Um, the reception of Ping Pals... Uh, like I said, wasn't good. Uh, they got criticized for not being interactive enough to be called a game. Um, in addition to this, the DS has a built-in chat program called PictoChat. Uh, PictoChat includes features that PingPal lacks, and due to this, the game received poor ratings. For instance, Nintendo Official Magazine gave it a 9% in its Nintendo DS special, with the opening sentence saying, With PictoChat uh, coming as standard, this is a bit like paying money to breathe air. The reviewer gave a one-word written summary reading, Pointless. GMR awarded the game a score of 0 on a scale that normally went from 1 to 10. Uh, several images and ping pals were licensed from Qplay. These included the Kupamond, a green creature that dances in the starter animation, and several avatars including graphics. Electronic Game Monthly gave it the game an average of 0 0.5 out of 10, with the game receiving two zeros and one 1.5 and uh GameSpot kind of had uh uh did a review also for it and they give it a 3.3 and i'm just gonna read the last uh part of their review in the end it's impossible to rationalize ping pals very resistance to any satisfactory degree why make a game just like picto chat when picto chat already exists on the ds itself after playing Pink Pals, you're unlikely to come up with any acceptable answers to this question because none of the extra content it provides is worth paying for. Chalk this one up to poor decision making, lousy timing, or a combination of both. Just don't chalk this one up as a game you should play. So, yeah, uh, that one was was hard. I re actually remember, and I think I still have the review of EG. I remember reading it. And I was just like a 0 0.5. The the last time a game got a 0 0.5 that I remember was Mortal Kombat events. And they, it, I, I think it got a 0 0.5 or it got a 1.0. And that was the lowest. I'm like, oh my gosh, why? So, um, another game moving on from Pick the Chat was Silent Hill Book of Memories. Um, this game was for PlayStation Vita and it was an action hack and slash game. Um, it's a spinoff of the Silent Hill games. Um, and it was the first game to feature a role playing elements and an option for cooperative play. Um, it was published by Konami Worldwide beginning in mid October 2012 in North America. Um, the objective of Silent Hill Book of Memories is to guide the player character from an overhead perspective through a series of monster field dungeons. The player could choose from five character classes, Bookmore, Golf, Jock, 
preppy, and rocker for his or her player character, which can be customized to a degree. The player character receives experience points for defeating the various monsters after enough experience points are attained. The characters level up, allowing the player to improve the character's statistics, strength, dexterity, agility, intelligence, mind, and vitality. Each type of character prefers certain statistics, for example, a jock will have greater strength and dexterity than the other types, items to improve the character's statistics and can be equipped. The goal of each area, called zones, is to collect the required amount of puzzle pieces to solve that area's puzzle and then proceed to the next zone. Each zone contains a save point and a shot run by a non-player character, where the character must purchase items with memory residue, the in-game currency. At the beginning of each zone, another non-player character, Vertil, offers the player characters an optional side quest. Puzzle pieces can be found in rooms with challenge orts. Breaking the orb results in the appearance of monsters, all of whom must be defeated to obtain the puzzle piece. Various traps can be present, uh, present in the room. Some of the rooms called Forsaken Rooms contain the ghost. The player's actions towards it result in a positive, negative, or neutral outcome, which in turn affects the ending of the game. Uh, for combat, the player character can find a variety of melee and ranged weapons, ammunition, and items to restore lost health. Melee weapons take damage and eventually break from being used, although items to repair the damage can be found. In the beginning, the character is limited to a carrying capacity of two weapons. Additionally, the game features an alignment system, blood, steel, and light. Collecting the karma left by a defeated enemy shifts the character's alignment towards, the e towards either the light or blood end of the karma meter, depending on the monster. Each alignment features different abilities and affects the ending of the game. The creatures present in Book of Memories have appeared in previous Silent Hill games, such as Silent Hills 2, Pyramid Head, and the Ghost from Silent Hill 4, The Room. So, uh, the part of this game is the main character finds a mysterious book waiting for them on their birthday, known as the Book of Memories. It is revealed that the main character's entire life is written within its pages, and that if they change the text within the book, the outcome of their life changes accordingly. The main character uses the power of the book to attempt to change their life for the better, with unforeseen and uh, often unfavorable consequences, while occasionally sliding into distinct other words in accordance with major characters affected by the book's powers. Now, this game came out in North America October 16, uh, 2012, in Europe November 2, 2012, Australia November 8, 2012, and Japan February 14, 2013. Uh, the reception of this, like I said, is 50 out of, 58 out of 100 on Metacritic. Uh, G4 gave it 3 out of 5 stars. Games Radar gave it 2 out of 5 stars. IGN gave it 6 out of 10, and Hardcore Gaming gave it 4 out of 5. Uh, Jim Sterner on Destructoid gave it a 2. <laughs> and uh, the last of his view, he writes, Awful Design, a concert, oh, wrong one. Yeah, uh, no, this is Silent Hill. Sorry about that, everybody. Um uh, just started doing Silent Hill. He did Blood Rain. Sorry about that. Getting my notes mixed up uh, a little bit. Uh, the one from Destroy Toy, they gave it a five. And it's uh, the last part of their review says Silent Hill Book of Memories devolves from a mediocre dungeon crawler into a frustrating grind over the course of too many hours. 
Wait for us attempt to do something different with the Silent Hill universe is novel, but the clunky combat and imbalanced difficulty make this impossible to recommend. So that was Silent Hill. Uh, so the last game I'm going to talk about is Blood Rain Betrayal. <laughs> and uh, this one was published by Majesco Entertainment. Um, and uh, it's a 2011 side-scoring action-adventure game. Um, and it's the third title in a Blood Rain series. Uh, unlike previous 3D hack and slash games before, this game is a 2D side-scroller. And this one came out to PS3 and 360 and also PC. Um, now, in North America, uh, Majesco Entertainment published the PS3 and Xbox 361. Uh, Japan did Arc System Works for PS3. And uh, Worldwide Midnight Cities did it for PC. Um, the composer, once again, was Jake Kaufman. So um, it kind of should have a good uh, good soundtrack. Um for PlayStation in uh, North America, released on September 6, 2011. In Europe, the same day. And Japan on May 1st, 2014. For Xbox Live, uh, North America and Europe was September 7th, 2011. And for Microsoft Windows, April 30th, 2014. Uh, the uh, Blood Rain portrayal received polarized critical recession, whereas some reviewers, such as those writing for Joystick and IGN, Praise the challenge of it. Others, such as GameSpot, felt it was too frustrating. And uh, Jim Sterling put it as his top 10 worst, uh, put it on his list for the top 10 worst games of 2011 for his terrible controls and handling an obscene amount of enemies thrown at the player. So I'm, now I'm about to get into it. So, awful design, a concert tool to art style, and an obscenely cheap approach to difficulty makes Blood Rain Betrayal a game that should be avoided by all. But the, uh, but the most masochistic and deranged of gamers. Um, the deep revulsion that this game inspires within him cannot accurately be described, but it is measured only by the intense, burning disappointment he, that he felt as a fan of the series. Wherefore, it can do so much better, and better is what Blood Rain needs. So, they didn't really knock it out the park with with the game. I took the look at it, and boy, does it look rough. Um, it looks fun, but I... I, I give it up for the for the for the artwork. The anime uh art style looks really good or comic book art style looks really good and the soundtrack is kinda is is, is decent. Um but yeah, oh my goodness. Just looking at the reviews I was like, This is this is punishing. <laughs> it really is punishing. Now when I come back, you know, I just did only some of their flops, but they had some standout games and I think these are some of the games that I feel like really stood out over their flops. So we'll talk about them when I come back.
And I am back. So, um, one of my uh games that I just love for them that um kind of stood out, uh, which uh, I just I I really do enjoy this game. Um, a boy and his blob, and this is a remake for the game that came out of um from uh the NES, um, and it was on other platforms. Uh, to like later on down the line but i remember buying this game physically for the wii and i still own this game but avoidance blob is a platform puzzle video game developed by way technologies and published by majesco entertainment um it is a reimagining of the 1989 video game avoidance blob trouble on blob uh blob Olonia or bob bologna uh sorry about that everybody Ooh. Uh, which was originally developed by Imagineer for the NES. The game was released for the North, uh, for the Wii in North America on October 13, 2009, and in Europe on November 6, 2009. A high definition port of the game, developed by Extraction Games, was released on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, Microsoft Windows OX, uh, OS X, and Linux on January 20, 2016. A PlayStation 3 version was made available on June 28th of the same year as a cross-purchase with the PS4 and Vita versions. Mobile ports for iOS and Android were later released worldwide on November 17, 2017, December 26, 2017, respectively. Uh, Wait for us to break the Sean Velasco, a fan of the original NES title, expressed a desire to recreate and update the experience for current generation gamers, uh, streamlining the NES title's gameplay mechanics to create a more forgiving experience. A Boy in His Blob's art direction has received widespread critical acclaim and praise and was utilized by the developers in addition to a minimalistic story in order to create a heartwarming and friendly game accessible to a wide world audience. Um, the plot for this game was that the planet Blob Blonia is threatened by an evil empire and titular Blob flees to Earth seeking help. It crash lands on Earth and finds the opponent's boy, the team, uh, uh, boy. They team up in order to dethrone the evil emperor, first by completing a quest on Earth and then by traveling to Blablonia. Uh, along the way, minions of the emperor attempt to stop them. So, I, I might have said the thing wrong, but I'm sorry. Uh, and what this game was that, uh, you, uh, you, you control the boy and in order to help Blob you get through these platforms and these puzzles, you will uh, feed them these beans. And these beans had different powers to them. Uh, uh, to them. So, and also it had a button that everybody loves to hug the Blob. Uh, and it, it really was good. Uh, to speak about the art, uh, Mark Gomez as art director was responsible for most of the game's signature look and feel. He wanted to do something very soft, inspired by the works of filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki, which is uh, one from one of my favorite anime studios, Studio Ghibli. Um, which, if you guys want to check out the Spirits Away uh, episode, go check that out with Jesse Douglas. We talk about Spirits of the Way. Um, the decision to make the boy much younger and rounder than his NES counterpart was also Mark's ass. Was also Mark's as was the idea of making the blob a more faithful companion, similar to a dog. With the new younger design for the boy and the blob, Mark wanted them to have a mutual need for each other. One can't progress without the other. 
Overall, the game has around 4,000 unique frames of animation. And yeah, it, it, it flows and looks beautiful. Um, the music score was composed by Daniel Sadowski. Um, and this game really got a lot of positive reviews. Um, WinUp.com gave it a B plus. Game Informer gave it eight out of ten. Game Trainers gave it eight and, eight, eight and a half out of ten. IGN gave it seven and seven point six out of ten. Nintendo Power gave it eight and a half out of ten. X Play gave it four, and Game Daddy got gave it an eight out of ten. Um, I do recommend playing this game probably on PlayStation Four or any platform that you can like really play this game. It's gonna take you a while. It is a little bit challenging. But you really will enjoy the experience. If if you want to talk about narrative in games and you play God of War and you love Kratos and Arteus uh um uh, relationship, you're gonna love a boy in this block. Like you you really are gonna enjoy it. And this I, I think it's very touching as a game. I like I said, I truly enjoyed it. I really love this game. Um so, but we're going to move on to the next game, which was Alien Infestation. And this was a DS title, and this one was published by uh, Sega. Uh, it is a 2D side scroller for the Nintendo DS handheld uh, console. Um, it was developed by uh, Rare Ford and Gearbox Software. Um, it was a tie-in to the Alien franchise, and the cover art that you guys, if you look at the box and get a chance, was drawn by Reno comic book artist Chris Bacello. Um, the gameplay of Alien Infestation is comparable to the Metro and Castlevania video games, where players are encouraged to search and backtrack for weapons, upgrades, and keys. The player controls one of the party of four Marines and explores the USS uh, Sulaco, as well as LV-426 and Phobos, in order to investigate the Union of Progressive Peoples, or UPP, and Wayland Utini's involvement in xenomorph development. If a Marine falls in battle, another in the party will take their place. The player loses if the entire party is wiped out. Fallen characters can be replaced with any of 15 displaced Marines found throughout the game, each with their own unique dialogue. Um, and the thing about this one uh, it was that like you don't know who is infected so one of them could be uh you know would be one of the xenomorphs uh in it um and you just really had to choose of which person would live or which person would die um it did come in australia september 29 2011 europe september 30th of 2011 and north america october 11 2011 um, the review scores for it were were big and very positive. Um, Destructoid gave it an eight and a half out of ten. Your Gamer gave it an eight out of ten. Game Informer gave it an eight point twenty five out of ten. Game Pro gave it three and a half stars. Game Revolution gave it a B. GameSpot gave it eight out of ten. Game Traders gave it seven point seven out of ten. IGN gave it eight out of ten. Joysticks gave it four out of five. Nintendo Power gave it eight out of ten. The AV Club gave it a B plus, and Digital Spy gave it four out of five. And so, um, just the just the game, just the game that it look. I'm like, wow. And I think it's like only twenty bucks if you're able to find it uh, used or I mean brand new. But if you can find it cheaper used or on Amazon, I do recommend the game if you're into that. 
Uh, the next game I did mention earlier was Double Dragon uh, Neon. Uh, this is a 2012 video game. Uh, it was a beat 'em up, uh, like I said, and this game was published by Majesco Entertainment. Man, they did a lot of beat 'em ups, and it is a reboot to the Double Dragon uh, series. Um, and it was the first game in the series where Minia, uh, the previous owner of the Double Dragon series after Techno Japan became defunct, had no involvement in this development. Our system works brought the series rights in 2015 along with all intellectual properties of Technos Japan. Um, and this game came out for PlayStation 3 in uh, North America September 11th, uh, Europe September 20th, uh, both of them were 2012, Japan December 12th, 2013. Uh, uh, Xbox 360 got it September 12, 2012, and Microsoft Windows got it worldwide on February 6, 2014. Um, so, um, it's a regular beat-em-up game, um, and it had a, uh, a good mix to positive reviews. Uh, Ash gave it 7 out of 10. EGM gave it 90 out of 100. I guess they ended up changing their reviews at that time. Uh, Eurogamer gave it 7 out of 10. Uh, G4 gave it 4 out of 5. Game Informer, 8.25 out of 10. Game Revelation gave it 2 out of 5 stars. Wow. GameSpot gave it 7 out of 10. IGN gave it 3 out of 10. Joystick gave it four out of five, uh, or four and a half out of five. OPM US gave it eight out of ten. OPM in Australia gave it sixty percent. OXM in US gave it uh, six and a half out of ten. Play gave it thirty-seven percent, and Cheat Code Central gave it three three point six out of five. So there was really kind of a mix. Uh, back for it. Um, it, it is a very interesting game. If and if it's still on PSN for PlayStation Three, uh, give it a look. Or if you're interested, you know, if, if you're if you want to try try the game. Um, one of the next games that I'm going to bring up is Mighty Switch Force. Uh, this was one of their original games. Uh, it's a puzzle platformer developed by WayForward, as of course, um, and this came out for Nintendo 3DS, and it also came out for Wii U. Uh, but it was the Hyper Driver Edition, so it was like a high definition, and that came out in 2012. And it also got a sequel, Mighty Switch Force 2, which was released in 2013. Uh, it is the third game in WayForce Mighty series, following Mighty Flip Chips and Mighty Milky Way. Uh, and it's like I said, it's one of their original uh, properties. It came out on December twenty second, two thousand eleven. Uh, and for uh, Nintendo 3DS uh, in Japan, it came out November thirteenth, two thousand thirteen. Uh, Wii U in Europe came out December sixth, two thousand twelve. Australia got it June 6, 2013. Japan got it September 10, 2014. North America got it November 18, 2012. Microsoft Windows got it worldwide June 25, 2015. And uh, it's coming to Nintendo Switch on May 15, 2018. Uh, so um, you guys are will be able to check out. It's a nice uh, kind of platforming game. Um and uh, I, I I own it for Wii U. Uh, I definitely do pick it up if you guys are interested. It's a really fun game uh, for it. Um, moving on, uh, Lit was their next game uh, uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, that it came on WiiWare. Uh, it's known as School of Darkness in Japan. 
And uh, the game is directed by Adam Tini and co-designed by Tyranny and Matt Bozen. Uh, it was released in North America on February 9, 2009. Uh, the game has been described as a horror puzzler, and the style of gameplay has been compared to Sokoban, Chips Challenge, and the Adventure of Lobo series. It is built around the concept that light is life and darkness is death. So you got to kind of keep the light going on in the room because if it gets dark you'll die you'll end up dying uh uh, uh about this um you know it, it it was a real good game it received a lot of positive uh a uh, positive and it didn't come up to come to any other platform besides we wear uh, uh, it is on iOS and Android and Microsoft Windows also, but like PlayStation and Xbox, it didn't come to. So if you guys are interested in checking it out, um, I think we were, I think the virtual console has come to a close on Wii. Um, but if not, if you're still able to pick it up, I say go ahead and pick it up. Now, this uh, is another game that WayForward did for Konami, and that's Contra 4. Um, it's a 2D action game uh, for the Nintendo DS, and this is the 11th original installment in the Contra series. Uh, the game was released in North America on November 13, 2007. Uh, Contra 4 was produced by Konami Digital Entertainment in America, and uh, making the, the first Contra game developed by them, uh, which is WayForward Studios. Uh, wait for technologies as well as the first original contra game for a portable platform since the 1991 game boy game operation c as the game titles in- indicates contra 4 was designed to be a direct sequel to the contra games for the N- nintendo entertainment system and super nes uh, which follows in the order of contra super c and contra 3 the alien wars with a gameplay model similar to those games and was also in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the original contra a mobile phone port was released on November 19, 2007, and there is no European or Australian version of the game that, uh, that's that been released. It came out in Japan in March 13, 2008, um, and uh, November 13, 2007 in North America. Jack Kaufman did the music for this game. And uh, if you guys want to check it out, I say do look for it. Um, if you can find your copy and use double screens, and it also has like a hook shot to it. Uh, to and you play on the bottom screen, but you can also move up on the top screen. It really is difficult. Um, Destroy gave it an eight out of ten. GameSpot gave it an eight out of ten. Games Radar gave it a four out of five stars. IGN gave it an eight out of ten, and Nintendo World Report gave it nine out of ten. If you guys want to check it, check it out. Uh, their last game that I'm going to mention was one of their latest release. Um, for that came out and that's the mummy d master and i do recommend if you guys listen to uh retronauts um they have a uh episode where they talk to the developers uh uh, to two developers at wayforce studios on how this game came about um it was released october 20 uh 2017 uh, this game is available for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Uh, and it, like I said, October 24th, 2017. It's a Metroid Road kind of game. So what happens is, is that it, like you would search this area and get these powers. And you trust a random soldier. And now, if you die, 
you become a new soldier who picks up at a save point, but now you gotta find your old self and kill it because the enemies have taken over it to get your equipment back. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, I have it for Nintendo Switch. Um, this game received a lot of uh, positive reviews for it. Uh, reviews for it. So if you guys still want to check it out, I do recommend uh, doing that. So when we come back, um, I'm going to get to the last part and uh, like give my uh, reasons why they like are my favorite. Why this is my favorite company and which game that I want to that I that made me uh, really fall in love with them. And I will do that when I come right back. Why is a way for <laughs> my favorite company and uh, kind of for me, it's always been about the games and it'll always be about the games. And I just love the stuff that they deliver to me, whether it's broken, sorry about that, whether it's broken or it plays good, there's just something about them that just makes me go kind of <laughs> a little bit bunkers for them. But you know they're just creative they they bring back that nostalgia of um of the 8-bit days and 16-bit days like old school and plus some of their modern games are just fun to play and it's just like they're not a big company and they don't be like oh we gotta focus on online and this cinematic you know they don't do none of that they just have a passion uh in their games and it shows and that's what i love about them you know i might not have brought every way for it game but when i do see their trailer when i do get interested and i do pick it up and play it 
and whether I whether it fits me or not at times, I just enjoy it, and I just like thank you, like thank you for being original, thank you for screaming out. This is what we do. It might not be perfect, but it, it's it's a it's video games, it, and it's what we we put our hard earned time into developing. And whether whatever the outcome may be, we do hope those who love us and those who pick it up will enjoy it. You know, just look, we got Yacht Club names who made Shovel Knight. They came from way for it. So it and you get that same passion that yeah, it feels like a way for a game, but it's a little bit tighter and stuff. You know, I, I love the fact that they mix retro and the modern games into their portfolio. And yes, they got a lot of licensed games and stuff. And it might seem as a quick butt for some, but you know what? No other company was willing to do that. And if they had to do that to stay afloat, you know, that's great. Yeah, they kickstarted their uh, Shantae and the Paris Curse. And I'm glad that they made their Kickstarter fund and made the game that they wanted to make and you know it's good that you know they they did that and i'm just there's just something about them that just screams out at me and one of the games that screamed out at me you probably could guess it was a boy his blog like i i just love this and you guys probably heard that ting (laughs) which was my uh which was my computer um uh, and I I just love the fact that that this that you know a boy in this block really touched me in this animation you know, like I, like a red studio Ghibli you know hugging uh hugging the blob and stuff but it's the music and I've always been a big person of art and animation like I just I I, I just I just dig them you know and. I I just I can't help that I dig their work, uh, and just like a boy, his blob just it it just touched me in the sense that you know you can have all the mature games and platforming games and big story and driven moments and comedy and funny moments, but I'm like when there's a game that really moves you. It really just makes you feel like you really care about the characters. A boy in the blob does his job for it. So uh, that's my hit. That's why I love them. And going forward, with way forward is what I hope to do. I hope they continue to make games and people support them. I, you know, it will probably come a time that they do go out of business and all those developers will find other companies to work at. But for right now, I'm enjoying their games. I I want to move forward with them by purchasing their games and supporting them and, you know not really marketing and stuff but getting the word out to be like hey this game is out before them. you know i'm playing it i'm enjoying it or it, you know you could read reviews you could you could be like hey if you like indie games this is a good indie style game and i think it does a good job so um with that everybody um we're going to get into some plugs and then after that i will be in the show and i'll be with you when we come back
So, just some main shows that I want to plug for you guys. As always, you guys can find Optional Opinion on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast apps. I'm also part of Nurse Gone Roll Radio, um, NGRRadio.com, that you guys can find us at. You know, you can read some of my writings there. Uh, check out some of my podcasts that I do with the team over there. Uh, I uh, co-host a show with Corey Derrick, uh, Nintendo Power Block. You guys can check out on YouTube also on Nurse Gone Rope. I also do uh, Arsenal X, our Xbox podcast, as I am the host. I do that with Corey Derrick and uh, Jesse Douglas. Also, I uh, still am part of World 101, <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, that, that's my baby. With Larry Giver and with Corey Derrick, we uh, we host, we do that show also. Um, but you you can find uh, uh, Nurse Gold Platinum. I'm about to say Nintendo Ghost Platinum. <laughs> Nurse Gold Platinum with Jason Marshall, Jeff, and uh, Moose. Um, those guys, they hold our PlayStation uh, podcast. You can also check out uh, Nurse Gone Rogue, uh, which uh, Moose, Corey, and Matt host. Um, that is their our community, like mainline kind of podcast. Sometimes I'm on it, uh, but I haven't been there on there recently. I want to come back, guys, and have discussions with you. Uh, but you, you guys can check that out. Uh, we also do a plethora of other shows like Squad Goals, um, Pod and Play, uh, Royale with Cheese, which is our new uh, Battle Royale show. Um, we have reactions. Uh, check out some of our e past E3 discussions and E3 reactions and stuff. Uh, we do mini block. Uh, we also have where um we do uh like a little small a little small discussion uh a, a mini power block uh, that you guys could uh, uh check out expansion pack and expansion pass. Um, that you guys can also check out uh, Trophy Hunters for uh, Nurse Gone Platinum and stuff like that and Nurse Gone Rogue Plays, NGR Radio Plays. Um, you know, you can check that out. Also, Corey has uh, Storytellers, which is a show that he's doing where he just plays a game for the narrative in case if you don't own it and he's doing God of War. So you guys can check those episodes there also. Um you can check out the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, like their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at HHP, uh, HH Podcast Show and subscribe to them on YouTube also. Uh, Simon's Cake Podcast at simoncake.wordpress.com where you can hear the podcast, which is also on iTunes. Like their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at Simon's Cake and subscribe to them on YouTube also. Um. There are other podcasts like the Devon Cox Experience, Extra Jump Podcast. Uh, you guys can check out on SoundCloud and iTunes or other podcast apps. Um, JR Oliver and Ryder Sweat, they host that. Um, there's a PlayStation podcast. Um, and you guys can check that out. I am temporarily co-host with them at times when they need help if they need me to come on i'll go ahead and record with them and have a great discussion about uh playstation and stuff so you guys can check that out um just they're just awesome and cool and everything uh you also could check out Phoenix Overdrive, uh, their content on Facebook, uh, and they also do some uh, Nerd Overdrive uh, podcast. Um, 
I got to get more information, up to date information about them. Uh, so uh, you guys can check that out. Um, you can email uh, um, the show at my op two comments. Now it's n y o p the number two c o m m e n t s at yahoo dot com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at that retro code. You probably guys are getting probably a lot of messages here in the thing and stuff. Um, so I do apologize for that. Um. <laughs> Uh, you can read the optional opinion blogs on IGN.com under anime, E-N-I-M-E. And you can find my other series, The Moment at Skirmish Frogs. Um, I will be returning to both of them. I haven't did a lot of writing for optional opinion, but I will be getting, getting back to doing the features and I will be getting back to doing to the moment. Um, you can follow me on Twitch and subscribe at the lyrical one and watch my Let's Learn series. I need to get back into doing that also. So there are going to be some new shows and stuff that I am going to be promoting, uh, and plugging this up. But so I just got to update stuff at the moment, uh, at this time, but everybody, I want you guys to have a great week. Have a great weekend whenever you hear this podcast. Uh, and before I go, um, just want to let you guys know I am going to be doing a E3 episode, um, doing some predictions on what I think each part, uh, each conference is going to do more information is coming out. Uh, I know there was kind of a leak from Walmart, but I'm going to ignore that leak because that none of that is certified. It's all rumored. And so I'm going to just give my own predictions. And I know Sony announced uh, by the time you guys hear this, Sony announced what they're going to be showing or give you an idea and stuff, but I'm still going to throw out some predictions for it. Uh, I want to give you guys just an update uh, for the music. Well, not update. Just let you know what music I played. Uh, Re Plus, Night Time. That's, uh, you can find all of these on YouTube. Uh, Voiced Out Channel. Uh, the Scorpion King, Sword of Osiris, GBA, OST, Boston. Um, Shantae, OST, Burning Town. Centipede, Infestation, Title Theme, Animatic, 211. Uh, Contra for Jungle 2, A Born This Blob, Everything To Me, Double Dragon Neon OST, The Tate Smith, and the last track that I'm going to play for you guys is from Mighty Switch Force. It's called Jivebot. Once again, everybody, have a great week. Have a great weekend whenever you hear this podcast. And as always, I am out. Peace. <laughs>